anyone hear me? <coughs> the half moon and the lunar observance night. And of course, this is our second week of retreat for the at the retreat center. And everybody's uh, calm, collected, composed, serene. And contemplate over the the week and a half that has passed is the the effect of the that you've received from living in this particular way. You know that having lived uh, under the eight precepts and uh, the noble silence and the uh, meditation, having morning, evening pujas times for reflection, for sitting, walking, all done in a kind of a subdued way, lifestyle where everything has uh, is quite has been arranged, where the food is prepared and uh, all you have to do is is really be present and participate in the meditation retreat. So you begin to see under certain conditions the mind naturally goes to calm and and as we uh, say live a simple life uh, the tendency to distract ourselves say with television or conversation or eating whenever we want or uh, going out um, all these things have been uh, renounced and so during this past week past week and a half of course you had to live with yourself mainly. What it's like to to be pay attention to yourself, to what goes on, uh, the things that you think and feel in regards to the the way that you're living. Now one can observe how much uh, how busy we can be in in ordinary life just to just for distraction. Because there's something rather frightening and and uh, threatening about looking at oneself very closely. The sense of the self is very uh, is assumed, uh, and we we uh, we don't really know who we are most of the time. We we depend very much on on identities with things, or having uh, kind of been regarded in a way that that is uh, we can feel all right that we're acceptable uh, types of people that we we are uh, intelligent and that we're uh, all right we're okay when in the life uh, of meditation retreat we're silent and we're we're not getting a lot of um, of that attention where we're having an, a distraction, busyness, but just merely sitting, standing, walking, lying down, uh, doing simple things, just concentrating on the breath, the body, the sound of silence, this is the natural environment, that which is present uh, here and now, 
when we begin to pay attention to that, uh, then of course uh, we off you feel emotional reactions uh, come up. Boredom, um, fear, um, or repressed emotional habits such as anger or or resentment will come up into consciousness. So you can begin to understand the, the problems of the world where people do not know themselves, do not know the Dhamma, uh, and are merely caught in uh, a set of habits, assumptions uh, that they call the world, they call themselves, and they operate from those uh, ideas, those assumptions. Uh, and it's interesting to observe uh, what the, the kind of terror or fear that comes in people who are beginning to suddenly their, their egos start falling apart. The, the world that they've very much identified with and, and hold to as being the normal world you can depend on or the self, the personality that, that you've never questioned starts to disintegrate or break up or fall away, then uh, we, one can feel a lot of terror or panic because the, the, uh, the personality the world view that we hold to is merely a conditioned thing. We get used to it, even if it's not very good, even we, if we, we're not very, uh, we don't have a lot of respect for ourselves or that uh, our personality, we, we got ourselves usually in negative terms or the world that we live in can be a world that is uh, fraught with difficulties and disappointments. But still, it is a world that we are used to. And that being used to, something that we're used to, we feel as a certain level of security. When you're going out into the unknown, into the dark, into the uncertain, the unsure, what you're not used to, the the foreign, the alien, the unexpected, then we, we, uh, we oftentimes shrink in terror from, from such things. But being meditators now, we are going into that unknown, into the silence, into that awareness, where there's nothing to hold to, nothing to grasp. And of course, the, the many of the reactions you've had during this during this retreat. You know, if you think uh, you, the kind of feelings or emotions that that come up are strange or there's something wrong, don't regard it that way. It's quite normal. The sound of silence. Or the sound sounds very strong in this building.
One thing I found helpful in uh, in uh, say establishing uh, faith in Dhamma, one thing is to um, in, in the in the Western world we oftentimes see ourselves uh, through an, a negation to what's wrong or through comparison with somebody else. Uh, we oftentimes feel uh, that we're, we we have this sense of being imperfect or sinners or something is wrong with us basically. So that we, we this is oftentimes the assumption, uh, cultural assumptions, not necessarily just personal ones. And that we do have this sense of being somehow something wrong, and that there's you know, something sinful or corrupted or uh, that about us and that we must uh, do something to try to become uh, enlightened or saved or work in some way uh, to solve this problem. So the basic assumption of oneself is that there um, is a flaw of some sort. Now in uh, terms of Taking refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, we start from this refuge, which is not, there's nothing flawed in this refuge. Perfect refuge, in other words. And it's not just a, a, a kind of ideal refuge, a kind of um, abstract intellectual idealism that's pointing to, but uh, when we take refuge in the Buddha, this is. A, a state that's quite normal and natural, but which we don't really appreciate, which is the state of attention, paying attention. We do say things like pay attention, but that's usually a, a command based on, uh, and we take it very personally, like, I must pay attention. But in the refuge in, in Buddha is the awakened, awakeness in the present. So, we're actually uh, be beginning to recognize or see the potential of, of of taking of being in that state of perfection right now. The Buddha, seeing the Dhamma, the Sangha, being those who practice in the right way, those who are actually doing it. So the Sangha is composed of human beings, men and women, living, breathing. Uh, people, and the Buddha is the is the wisdom, the awakened state of mind. The Dhamma is the way it is in the present. So when we contemplate this uh, these refuges, then we we are actually taking refuge in what is perfect or stable or trustworthy rather than in some kind of abstraction or some uh, ideal that we aren't quite sure what, what it really is. You see the refuge is something practical here and now, not, not something remote, far away, ideal or, or uh, 
illusory. This also reflects uh, the sense of our own feelings of insecurity and and uh, our sense of ourself as a to uh, ob- observing or or clinging to the uh, perceptions of our faults and flaws, the personality. So, in other words, we're we're uh, this this refuge is something to totally trust, to surrender, to relax into. Like a sigh of relief, you know. Everything's alright, safe, refuge, Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Rather than, say, the, the state of mind, I've got to meditate in order to get rid of my defilement, in order to become uh, an enlightened person in the future sometime. And I'm just trying to, to get you to pay attention to this, uh, the assumptions we make, even about Buddhism and meditation. And if you start from that assumption, your, your, your basis for meditation practice is, I am, I am uh, this personality, I'm this person. There's a lot of problems, a lot of faults, I've got to do something about it and become a better person, an enlightened person in the future, that, that is, that will only lead you to despair. Because it's based on avicca, ignorance, and the result of avicca is always suffering, or disappointment, or despair. But we're not taking, we're not trying to fool ourselves that I'm a perfect personality, and there's nothing wrong with me, and and I don't have to meditate because I'm already perfect uh, and there's no future and, I, and everything's here and now anyway because we're still grasping uh, ideas, aren't we? We're still grasping the idea that I'm a person who's perfect or I don't have to do anything or there's nothing to do. Uh, and this, so this grasping, uh, whether, whatever way you take it, I'm a perfect person or a flawed, hopeless case, the grasping of these uh, perceptions out of ignorance will always take us to Sukha Pariteva Sukha Tomanasa which is a long way of saying suffering. So in the mindfulness, we, in the, and I hope this is what you're doing in the treatment, beginning to get the feeling for this, is when you're sitting to, to just uh, pay attention and, and be aware of any assumptions you're making, such as I, I have to meditate or I have to get rid of these defilements. So whatever kind of... Uh, uh, position you're taking or sense of yourself in regards to meditation not to, to assume you shouldn't think these things but to notice to pay attention to the assumptions about yourself in, the, in regards to this present moment because you begin to trust in this poised attentiveness in the present with a, a listening an awakened expansive 
state of being in the present before you become anything or anybody. Where you do have perspective on the way it is, on, on your own assumptions about who you are, what you should be, or who somebody else is, or all the views or opinions we hold about the places we live in, or the people we live with, or ourselves, or the world, the universe. So the Buddha pointed to the five khandhas and the six ayatanas, which is a uh, ways of saying, which if you can fit everything in the universe uh, and that you can possibly experience within these, uh, within the five groups and the six uh, ayatanas. Because that's experience, isn't it? The ayatanas experience life through the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body, and mind. We, uh, or through the five khandhas, the body, the feelings, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness. So these are categories, convenient categories, uh, and skillful means, expedient means, in order to get perspective on the conditions that, that we are that we that are existing in this present moment the way it is so when you contemplate r- the rupa or the body then at least this is this is here and now it's not we're not talking about in abstract but this this body that's existing now that's sitting in this way, like this. And instead of uh, looking at it in a personal way, uh, making it into uh, uh, making it into mine, we're not we're not applying that kind of view, but just uh, willing to pay attention to it, to the body as it is right now. So this is where the mind is, is, is it an intuition, the, the, an intuitive moment is an embracing moment, it's, it's not, it, it's willing to embrace the body in this moment, so that we can uh, reflect upon it, it's like this, not making any value judgment or comment about the body as being anything, but paying attention to the experience of it as your experience it now in the present. So that applies to the Vedana, the Sanya, Sankara, Vinyana, or to the eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind. Because even the, the universe that we experience, when we look up the stars at night, that's in the mind, isn't it? Mm. I mean, when you, that's the Yaku Vinyana consciousness. Because your eyes contacting the stars which are uh, light years away in time and space. Whatever, it's mysterious. But we, we tend to assume that uh, there's a separateness, that somehow the stars are, are out there and we're here. But in terms of experience, the stars are in the mind, aren't they? 
What is it that's, that's seeing, that's observing? We think the mind is in the in our head. We're not saying the stars are in our brain, but we're beginning to <laughs> in this head, but beginning to change our our way of uh, a, a different view about it. You know, instead of the the usual uh, conventional attitude about uh, me and my and what I see and that which. Uh, is out there that I observe with my eyes, beginning to notice that that the eyes are, uh, you know, a kind of um, sensitive instrument that pick up things. So when we look into the sky at night and see the stars, that's, is that in the mind or is that in space or what? But it's the mind, isn't it? It's the uh, the consciousness, the consciousness, consciousness, that's vinyana, chakku vinyana, eye consciousness. So it's shaking us out of just the, the assumptions that, that, that my mind is in my head and, or in my brain or in, in my body and that, uh, that I, this person is actually looking at the stars. But there is uh, this uh, conscious experience of stars in outer space. Or just looking at you here, and in terms of experience, I'm sitting on this seat looking at you as I consciousness. So you're in the mind right now. When I see myself, I can see my, I can see this body, but I can't see as much of my body as I can see of your body. You can see my body better than you can see your own body at this moment. So the subject is this, uh, the limitations, but it is the state of awareness, of this attentiveness in the present. I call the refuge in the Buddha. It's non-personal, it's not me uh, taking refuge in the Buddha. The person, not like I have a personal relationship with the Buddha and, and I've asked to take refuge with him and he said, okay. It's like, <laughs> it's like, to take refuge in the Buddha is to be awake. Mm -hmm. Pay attention. The simple, the very simple, ordinary ability we have to, to listen, to be here in this present moment. Ye Sotavanta Bamunjantu Satang is the Sotavanta, the one who listens, the listener. The one who's paying attention. Relax into this uh, moment. Trust him. The doors to the deathless are open.
And to contemplate is over and over again. I mean, it's not just uh, to think about it now and then is a kind of uh, interesting thing to do, but it's through a kind of continuous uh, reflective reflectiveness. As uh, you have been on retreat for the past week, and and to realize how when you first came, you know, with your uh, the first night you took the eight precepts, and and your minds were, you know, you spent the day traveling, coming from work or home, uh, arriving here, getting ready, uh, getting yourself prepared, not knowing what to expect, uh, and settling in, and what the mental state is like. You're coming from a busy life and starting a retreat where you, you've maybe been busy trying to get everything in order so you can go on a two-week retreat here at Amaravati. And then now, after a week and a half, where you, that, that kind of busy uh, uh, worldliness now is diminished. And how much easier it is, more easy it is to pay attention and to sustain attention when you don't have a lot of demands and and a lot of uh, things to do and you can just uh, and where the uh, you have afternoon to sit uh, and silence and walk and, and begin to to really really open to the experience in the present to trust in that to by Moon to relax into this present moment. Pay attention. The Dhamma then is the way it is. So this relationship of subject to object is the paradigm that we are all experiencing in consciousness, the, the subject object experience. That's just the way it is. And then the subject and the object. And instead of Putting that in personal terms, I'm the subject looking at you. Me, Ajahn Tamayna is looking at you, you're the object. Putting it in the paradigm of Buddha knowing the Dhamma, the way it is. In a state of, of awareness, of, uh, awakened awareness, then the, the seeing the Dhamma. So then the Dhamma that we see is, and we begin to recognize and relate to it, recognize it, is the conditioned and unconditioned. The conditioned Dhammas are the, you know, the five khandas, the six ayatanas, all the uh, uh, infinite variations, permutations uh, on the shapes and forms, conditions, refined and coarse, right and wrong, good and bad, high and low, coarse and refined that we experience through the mind, through the body, through the senses. So the, the conditioned realm is, they're, 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 they're dhammas. Everything uh, is conditioned is dhamma. But it's, it's but, when, but dhamma is, and the conditioned dhammas are impermanent and not self. So we're not when when we're contemplating dhamma, the conditioned dhammas, we're we're, we're asked to 
really notice the impermanence of them, no matter what their quality might be. Uh, in, in, in meditation, we're not, we're not giving importance to the quality of the condition or the quantity, but to its characteristic of beginning to really observe the changingness of the conditioned realm, the faith and Karanita. All conditions are impermanent. And then Sape Tama Anatta, all Dhamma is not self. You get it the un unconditioned Dhamma. The ultimate, the deathless, the Amatta Dhamma, the Amaravadi. the uncreated. Uh, this is realized as we uh, as we really notice the cessation of the condition. And this is we observing in, in, in the mind. We're looking inward now. We're not trying to figure it out theoretically, intellectually, but observing now. Like moods, how they present and then they change and then they disappear, or thoughts and feelings and memories and all the mental stuff, uh, uh, physical Vedana, a pleasure and pain, a neutral sensation is, is, uh, is forever kind of changing, and moods and feelings, thoughts, memories, love and hate and like and dislike and, and, uh, elation and, and depression and all the rest is, is is in this process of change changing and as we relax into this awareness of change then we again we're really aware of the present and then the cessation of what uh, is changing and that takes us to realization of cessation or the third noble truth or to the realization of nibbana niroda nibbana anatta sunyata these, these words that convey the realization of the unconditioned of the deathless Uh, notice that in in terms of Dhamma, we're not pointing to the complexities of anything, but to just the, the basic paradigm, the, the conditioned, the unconditioned, consciousness as it is, the subject and the object. But instead of, of, of uh, looking at these from a worldly mind that's conditioned to ignorance, to avicca, we're now using Dhamma teaching or the Buddha's teaching in order to to get the uh, to look at things in a different way in a way that isn't conditioned out of ignorance because Buddha's teachings are not they're not beliefs or they're not something you grasp but you use so we're not trying to to make that we must believe in something called the unconditioned reality or the amatta dhamma or on the deathless uh, or the uh, 
or the non-self. You must believe in non-self or emptiness. It's not asking us to to kind of uh, grasp the idea and believe in it. Like that is not in turn, but to realize the realization is here and now, and it's a and its ability to pay attention to the way it is in the present. And since we're not used to this, usually when we're conditioned to uh, to do anything but this, and this retreat then is in a very, you know, many of what we've all been on a retreat, but still we need to have time off from the um, mundane world that just reinforces the old avicca habit to begin to uh, to have this occasion where we contemplate in this way because as we do it more and more then it really sinks in we we insightfully know this it's, it's got knowledge it's, it's not just the airy fairy idealism or intellectual uh, concept that we, we, we that we uh, hold to when it's, it's direct knowing. We're not us. We're not we're, this this pa- paradigm of the condition, the unconditioned, is directly realized. It's not it's not abstract philosophy. So it is, uh, you know, uh, uh, something that a uh, brilliant teaching, actually, the Buddhist. <laughs> and uh, the fact that it it is very simple teaching. Basically, it is, is you know, it is based on four noble truths and uh, are based on the the most ordinary human experience of suffering. Suffering is just so, I mean, we all suffer. Suffering is, is the common bond of all human beings. There's noble truth based on the most banal, the most ordinary human experience. Nothing special. Suffering. And, and so it's taken what is most ordinary and common in terms of human experience. Taking that as a noble truth to understand. So that's why in these meditation retreats, you know, one is, we're not trying to get rid of suffering. We're not here. Not to, I'm going to practice meditation in order to get rid of suffering. If you're doing that, then you'll, you'll fail. You'll feel disappointment because you don't get rid of it. You understand it. And through understanding, you don't create suffering anymore. Or if you do, you, you, be, you begin to stop. You realize you don't have to create something, but we still experience the, the way it is, the world as it, as it happens to us, which can be very frustrating and unpleasant still. No matter how mindful we are, we're living in this realm, which is a continuous experience of agitation irritation 
that being born in a human body, you know, from the time you're born to the time your body dies, it's in a continuous, almost continuous state of being impinged on in some way, agitated in some way. That's just the way it is. It gets old, gets sick, and dies, and it has pain, and it's hunger, and all the, these things are just, these are, even though we say these are suffering, these are the normal, common, uh, this is the result of being born in this realm, in this form. This is the Vipassana Kamma. So this is still, this is, this is all right, but the suffering that we liberate ourselves from is the suffering we create out of ignorance, which is the reactive desires and attachments in regards to experience, habit, the body, the feeling, the perception, mental formation, consciousness, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, body, the mind. In the early years when I was a young monk, I used to contemplate, it's a compounded, sankara means, I used to define it in the dictionary, compounded. I used to like that because I, in a compounded. Then I contemplated this, you know, like, experience now is this way, you know, sitting here is like this. And then in my, in an intuitive, with this mindfulness now, the mind is, is kind of just looking, observing, it's like this. The body feels like this, the situation. So then the, the mind is in, in this intuitive state, is accepting, it's just noticing, it's, just, it's embracing the moment and whatever one is experiencing in this moment is accepted in consciousness. But if I don't do that, then I tend to react to things in the present moment, just caught, get caught in a series of conditioned reactions. Uh, I'm always compounding something. I'm not, this moment is always there's something added to it from me out of desire and fear and grasping. So, so if I'm not mindful, not really wisely reflecting on the way it is, then I'm endlessly kind of adding something, seasoning this present moment with something of what I want, like, don't want, shouldn't be, should, endlessly kind of uh, zooming around with my desires and wishes and fears and opinions and views and the compounding something. So life becomes very complicated. As a personality life I'm I'm a very complicated personality. I'm not boasting. <laughs> as a personality I'm you know, all kinds of complicated things to deal with. But as as a state of awareness, and simple, and that, and that personality that's always bubbling around is then seen as a dhamma, rather than reinforced, compounded continually with, with views, opinions, actions, thoughts, 
reactions then in the uh, reflection on the sound of silence is uh, you know, this is, any of you are finding that quite useful as a as a skillful means because it does bring this it does is a sign of this or expansive awareness in the present so as you begin to notice that then you're actually uh, beginning to cultivate that state of just being here and now in a, in a kind of expansive mind in a, in a broad wide expansive way of attention to this present as an in intuitive awareness and uh, also it helps to stop you from thinking because in that state it's a poised state so there's no need to think you're just listening in this state of attention natural it's natural too it's not created it's when you you know it's not refined in other words so you have to to uh, you know uh, control the conditions in order to sustain it that is merely to, to sustain it is to keep paying attention rather than uh, keep refining the conditions So this uh, interesting uh, intuition now is the Buddha spoke of this, you know, 2,500 years ago. This sati sampajanya, sati panya, this is what it is all about. And of course we realize that our conditioned mind is based not on intuition or on wisdom but on uh, ideals. And so this is why you can't trust you know, what you think or your emotions because we're, we're very much, uh, uh, our culture is one where you're conditioned with ideals, how things should be. And so we, 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 we're very discriminative we, we have developed that power of discrimination to a high level which which uh, you know which is a kind of marvelous ability in itself but as an identity it, it, uh, it's so much suffering and to be caught in endlessly criticizing and seeing what's wrong and, and seeing the division the separation all the time we live in our whole life and sense of ourself is is influenced by this feeling of being separate and divided noticing the differences where the differences become the big thing the thing we really give importance to how one person is different from another how this is different from that and this is better and that's worse and this is bigger and more beautiful and that is worthless and stupid and this is what, how it should be and that's how it shouldn't be. 
that kind of mind is is the experience. I mean, it's taken to where we become obsessed, obsessed with thinking. Is hell, the hell realm. This is the perpetual bloki of discrimination, views, opinions, you know, relentless uh, negative movements of the mind. So even in in privileged conditions where we have, you know, what everything we want and everything we need and good health and and youth and vigor and well, we're still so unsatisfied with it because the way we 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 experience life is is through uh, these delusions, divisive, alienated ways of. Uh, of uh, experiencing the present. When we when we talk about love in 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 its uh, unconditioned state, then that that's coming back into union again. Isn't it? Love is the, the you know like unconditioned love is uh, is uh, unity. It's non-discriminative. Like when we chant the Karaniya Metta Sutta, isn't it? It's that chant is about, you know, uh, a love for, uh, or love or acceptance met up for everything. Non-discriminative. It's not more to the good and less to the bad, or it's for, it's uh, completely kind of everything is, has uh, is, uh, the sense of, of acceptance of, of metta, unconditional love. So what does that do to the mind when we develop metta as a practice is we, we, we begin to recognize this kind of oneness. The fullness of a moment. Of the conditioned realm. All conditions, may they be well. All con- everything you know that we can possibly think of the born the unborn and so forth so in that that experience of of uh, a unity and in that is a is 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 a a, a a kind of rapturous feeling when we're when we're at one with everything when we're uh, with the sense of of non-discriminative acceptance of everything then that's a feeling a great oh, that's a beautiful feeling the result is a, a kind of rapture and peacefulness that comes from that But it's still not liberating until we let go and and realize the cessation of conditions or the that which isn't conditioned, the unconditioned, realize nibbana, realize non-grasping, realize cessation, realize non-self. And then that is that is 
we're no longer supporting everything with a with unconditional love uh, as as our main reference, but through this simple state of of attention, everything falls into place. Released from the from any sense of separateness or me or mine, or even the sense of unity or oneness is is relinquished. No longer necessary to to even support that. For this completely natural state of attention and presence that we as individual human beings can can uh, recognize as we develop uh, and cultivate mindfulness in our lives. So you don't get discouraged, and and that when you even after having insights, you it's still an ongoing challenge to to uh, cultivate this way. <laughs> uh, you you can get the insights, uh, you have insights, but then we have to, we have the vipassana of our lives to deal with. So it's how learning to cultivate you know, this way of of mindfulness into, uh, as we grow old and, and uh, experience the things that we have to in this form. And I guess the challenge is how, you know, how to relate experience and our resultant karma as it, as it arises in the present so that we're not deluded by it. lost into it anymore. So, you know, to, sometimes we get the idea of once you have a real insight into Nibbana, then you're just, it's just smooth sailing. And uh, you're just state of bliss forever. But just contemplate the way it is, this life and this form. It's always, it's always going to be this, uh, you know, it's in this change, uh, this changing state. It's like this. It's a coarse kind of realm we're in. It's, a, it's irritating. It's like this. You have to live in, in a human body that gets old, that has weaknesses, sicknesses, diseases. You have to live with people and in societies that, that are going to hate us or resent us or or abuse us. I mean, still, this is part of life, and it's not. It's, it's not anything to uh, to resent anymore, but to reflect upon. So, in uh, in our understanding of Dhamma, then we we, we begin to to recognize that the, the world, the the sensory experience, the ayatana, the five khandas, the ways of of uh, contemplating 
experience in a way that it's it's, it's very simple, leading to simplicity rather than to the say modern scientific approach, which is very complicated and very you know increasingly more difficult and specialized. It goes into increasing complications uh, where the human mind just can't cope anymore. We have to have all kinds of instruments and modern technology, high tech and computers and uh, to deal with the infinite changing risks and subtleties of the condition realm. No, recognize that the Dhamma is back to the simplicity of like the condition, the unconditioned. Mindfulness and the experience of this, uh, this the paradigm of subject-object, the Buddha, knowing the Dhamma. A basic morality of just living in a way that you're taking responsibility for, for what you do. There's five precepts, say, related five moral precepts, not terribly complicated, it's a basic simple uh, moral guide. So that's why in, 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 to be a Buddhist you don't need a computer. Uh, you, don't have, you don't need high-tech equipment. You've got everything. You've got it all. You've got the five tandas, six ayatandas here and now. You've got ability, you got the, the Buddha Dhamma Sangha here and now. And uh, it's all, you know, there's nothing lacking, nothing uh, missing, it's a matter of using it, of awakening, paying attention. So after this, there's a reflection from the For the um, retreatants, uh, this is for the um, non-retreatants. This is the observance night, and uh, so they'll be staying here till midnight. And the uh, retreatants, 